Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I'm here with George Mays, and it's Text Driven Tuesday time. On a very cold morning. Oh, yeah. It is very cold out. The feel was like three degrees, and it's kind of sleeting. You like this weather, Jay? Yeah, it doesn't bother me, really, honestly. That take you back to your your ancestors. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Maybe when I get home, I'll just go sit outside and soak in the weather. Drink some mead from the skulls of yeah. your enemies. Yeah. <laughs> mead. What a sh- mead is a strange drink, huh? Mead. It's made mead. made out of. What's it made out of? I, I have no idea. No, I'm curious. <laughs> mead. I looked it up one time. It's definitely an odd an odd thing. Do you know what it is, Larry? <laughs> it's definitely a, a weird thing. It's not like something you're like, oh, uh, let's uh, let's have a wedding and have some mead. Mm-hmm. No, well, I guess some people maybe, but <laughs> maybe. you know that there's some weird pagan wedding. Here it is. Yeah, yeah. They, they serve mead at. It's made by fermenting honey. Mm. So that doesn't sound so weird. It sounds less weird to me than like fermented cactus plant. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Like that sounds that sounds weirder. So yeah, maybe it's not weird. I don't know. Interesting. Hmm. I guess the lesson is that humans will ferment anything and drink it. <laughs> yeah the uh, the cold weather. Yeah, I'm good with it. Um. It's the little the little sleep pebbles. <coughs> you already know here. how I feel about the cold weather. Yeah. Um, I thought you had something funny, George. What? I thought you had a funny thing to show me. Oh, uh, uh, when we get into the. Oh, okay. I'm just, well, well, let's get into it because I don't want to wait. I want to see it. Uh, it's just a meme that I came across. So we're back in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 31, and this is a big warning passage that we're dealing with here. What number is this that we're on number of warning passages? Number three? This is the fourth one of this five. This is number four? Mm-hmm. There's okay. one more. Yeah. Good. Couldn't remember. And this is this one's pretty pretty strong warning I passage. I think this yeah. is probably the strongest one. Mm-hmm. It, everyone always focuses on chapter six because it talks about the impossibility of being restored to repentance. Right. Um, but I think that this one is is much more severe. Mm. A stronger warning. And then the fifth one, the fifth one's still really hard, but it I don't I don't think it's as hard as this one. Yeah. So you introduced the idea of there are some very serious warnings and things in the Bible. You introduced this concept of very serious passages by taking us back in time to July 8th, 1741. Mm. A sermon preached called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's a very, uh, you can't, once you hear about that, you just don't forget it. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Like, oh, like that's against just the title itself is against everything everybody thinks today about God. (laughs) Right. An angry God. Yeah. You know, Um, this sermon, though, was, I mean, it was huge, not just for really for the Christian world. It kind of set American history in motion to a degree. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the sermon and uh, who preached it, what happened, what it was about, and then give us a little sample. Because I think <laughs> you've got a sample. I've got I've got the whole thing right here. 
Well, it's important because uh, you have people like <clears throat> Beth Moore, super influ- influential, mm-hmm. far more influential than um, she should be. But uh, again, there are a lot of gullible people in the world who don't read their Bibles. They just don't, or they wouldn't be, you know, so easily drawn to people. Uh, she took some shots at this sermon this just this past week on Twitter. Sinners in the hands of an angry God, and it's like she ignored the rest of the sermon on purpose to make mm. it look really bad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I um, so I I read this again because um, Jonathan Edwards he preached this sermon. Um, I I couldn't find. I didn't look into the whole story because that wasn't the purpose of this sermon is to right. do a you know biography of Jonathan Edwards. I think he preached this sermon twice. He did. Yeah. And yeah. I think he preached it first at his church and he, there was no reaction. That's right. Yeah. He preached at his church and <clears throat> people thought it was a real snoozer apparently. Yeah. Um, and then he preached it in uh, Infield, Massachusetts. Guest preacher. I guess so. How would you like <laughs> to invite a guest preacher and he <laughs> preaches sinners in the hands of an angry God? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he uh, his his text was Deuteronomy chapter thirty two verse thirty five the first the first line of it, which uh, which reads their foot shall slide in due time, and that can, I mean that again, that's probably not a passage that we would just preach a a one off sermon on. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but he preached this sermon. It's about the danger of of hell. Mm-hmm. It's the danger of of imminent judgment, and so he's impressing upon the the hearers that the only thing that's keeping you out of hell right this moment is God's mercy, mm-hmm. um, because you're like a spider. You're like a spider on a web, and um, if God were to um, take His merciful hand away. You would no no more be able to keep yourself out of hell than a spider's web could stop a rock from you know if a rock was dropped on it, yeah, it just explode right right um and uh apparently <clears throat> when he preached this he he wasn't feeling well he was he was ill um he uh he he still lived for another i think twenty years or so, but um i I guess he was ill, his eyesight was failing him. And uh, he preached it with with his manuscript, like <laughs> like right up by his face, <laughs> by his uh, by his face. Uh, um, no, not really reading it with much emotion, probably because he was ill. Yeah, um, I mean, he was a Puritan. This these were not people that were prone to, you know, excitability. Mm-hmm. He wasn't he wasn't gesturing and and uh, it sounds like it sounds like a really boring ser- <laughs> sermon, and yet. Um, God used the sermon to convict the entire congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, people were crying out, "What must I do to be saved?" And um, I guess there was—I've uh, got a little biography back here. I guess there was uh, some—you know—they'd have they'd have other ministers up on the stage, like sitting behind them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess one of the ministers, um, where is it? Uh, actually went up to him and pulled on his coat and cried, Mr. Edwards, is not God merciful? Like it was, it was affecting everybody. Right. Um, 
and it, it affected them so much that uh, I guess he had to stop several times and tell the people to be quiet so he could, so he could finish. Right. I've never had that happen before, yeah. Jay. <laughs> I've never I've never had to to silence the crowd. Um, God used this so the 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 um, this was a, a major part of the first Great Awakening mm-hmm. in in America, and uh, the. I guess the yeah the 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 first Great Awakening it started about 1734, um, but I, I think when we when we think about the Great Awakening we think it's like this um, immediate widespread just all at once right. everyone is mm-hmm. is hit <laughs> right but it it starts in different places and it, it spreads mm-hmm. and it lasts it lasts until 1743 but in some places it went on for quite a bit longer um, but sinners in the hands of the angry of an angry god was the sermon that sparked the first great awakening mm-hmm. in that in that location yeah so god used them I mean, the first great awakening was was uh, a, a huge kind of turning point for for the 13 colonies mm-hmm. um you know, George Whitfield's part of this. Um, yeah. The Wesleys are part of it over in in England. Um, so it's yeah, it's a big it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's not the type of sermon that we are accustomed to. Right? Yeah, right? it's not. When we when we think of a sermon titled "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God" and it's all about the dangers of hell. I mean, l- listen to. I won't read the whole thing. I mean, you can go back and listen to the sermon but I, I would encourage people i mean uh you don't have to like buy a a little booklet though these are available um you could just google sinners in the hang- hands of an angry god you could just read it you can just read it online um but uh he says your wickedness makes you as it were heavy as lead and you tend downwards with great weight and pressure towards hell and if god should let you go you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf and your healthy constitution and your own care and prudence and best contrivance and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he says, if it weren't for the sovereign pleasure of God, the earth would not bear you for one moment. He says the world would spew you out were it not for the sovereign hand of him who has subjected it in hope because he says that God created this world good and it was to serve humanity and worshiping god and and what we do is we use the sun for light so we can do wicked things we Mm -hmm. use the oxygen that we breathe um to do wicked things um the food that we eat we use it to you know fuel us so we can do wicked things and if it weren't for god's sovereignty the earth itself would swallow us up so it didn't have to bear us anymore um, and we're just not used to that that kind of, of preaching. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we think about these sermons, you know, the, the the fire and brimstone type sermons, we think of like crazy IFBers, right? Did you ever see a clip of of Stephen Anderson climbing up on his mm-hmm. his pulpit, yeah, screaming? Mm-hmm. I think that's what people think about. They they think of these these guys that are just standing up there screaming. Or like the Westboro Baptist, you know, picketing at yeah. at uh, soldiers' funerals and stuff, and that's 
I think that's what, because that's what Hollywood depicts. Mm-hmm. There's there's two kinds of of uh, preachers in movies and TV. There's the Catholics, right, <laughs> and there's the crazy, mm-hmm. the crazy like Pentecostal hellfire preachers, mm-hmm. and both of them are viewed as pretty wacky, right? right? Um, but this sermon. It was heavy on God's judgment. It was it was warning people of God's judgment, but it was he wasn't screaming. Mm-hmm. He wasn't um, using any kind of hyperbole. I mean, it was it was just a well reasoned, um, pretty boring presentation. It sounds like, and yet it was full of truth, and God used it to uh, convict people. Yep. Amazing. But you've got, you know, you got Beth Moore. She's like, I don't, for the life of me, I don't understand, you know, people's infatuation with, uh, because it, he talks about sinners, uh, you know, unregenerate people as, as like a spider. Um, he, he talks about how God ab- abhors them. And she says, well, you know, I'm not much of a theologian. I'm glad that she, you know, admits admitted. It. Uh, but she, she says, I don't think God abhors anybody, even though that's, that's just straight scripture. I mean, God hates God hates evildoers. That's what. Yeah. This the well, George. Now that's going to be a shock to some people to hear mm. you say that, George. <laughs> right. You're going to say no way, no way, bro. Uh huh. Yeah, because we're we're because you have the legacy. <laughs> you don't have the uh, correct one. Right. Yeah, um, because people want to hear about how kind God is and how gentle He is, and we don't want to think. Um, we don't want to think about God hating us, right? Yeah. Uh, but Psalm 5, Psalm 5, verses 4 and 5, you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Mm-hmm. Um, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors, same word that Jonathan Edwards uses, right. the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Yeah. Um. So for someone to say, well, you know, I just don't think God is that way towards sinners. Right. That's just the language of scripture. Right. Um, for, the, for the person who is um, at enmity with him, and that's all of us by nature, we're all, we're all by nature children of wrath, uh, God abhors us. But she she also leaves off the end of the sermon where he's saying there's a savior who's standing right. with the, yeah. the doors are flung wide open. She forgot that part. Where, you know, where come, he, uh... come to Christ. So it's it's law and then gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he terrifies with the law, and then he gives the gospel. He says there's a savior who will save you. Right. You don't have you don't have to be this spider that falls into <clears throat> hell. Um, repent and, and trust in Christ. But again, we, we don't hear these. So we, you know, we, we've talked about the, these topical sermons and the way that some of them come across as just self-help. Right. You've got, you've got preachers that will spend, you know, 45 minutes talking about, here's all the things that you can do to have a healthy marriage. And then they tack on a, you know, if you want to ask Jesus into your heart, walk this aisle right well you just you've just spent all this time telling them that they can do this without jesus mm-hmm. that they don't need jesus so why do they need jesus why, right. why do they need to ask him into 
Narhara, you just told them that there here's all the steps that you can do to be a good person. Um, what we need sometimes is we need these stern warnings like sinners in the hands of an angry God or the warning passages of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Right? And so here we are, we're at, we're at this fourth warning and it's, um, it's, it's an urgent one. It's one that people are um, probably when they read it they're they get pretty uncomfortable with it. Yeah. So this, this is a serious warning. Um, and as you said, the previous times that you were at warning passages, this is God's ordained means to keep his people from falling away. So maybe we explain that. So here's my here's my meme. You can see my meme. You have a meme about this? God's yeah, got, ordained memes. God's ordained memes. Yeah. Is that what this is? Yes. His memes, his you didn't get my joke. Oh, I got it. Okay. All right. You didn't <laughs> laugh. Maybe it wasn't that good a joke. Yeah. You've seen the Joker, haven't you? Have you I have the seen the Joker. Yeah. Let, so let me get this straight. This I got to read this okay. for the people. They're not, you know, some people just listen. Okay. This is um, Joaquin Phoenix on the bottom. He's the Joker. He's uh, sitting there talking to, uh, what's his name? Mar- Marv? Yeah. Who is that guy? But who is he in real life? Robert De Niro. It's Robert De Niro. Okay. And he says, let me get this straight. The warning passages in Hebrews aren't hypothetical. And then the Joker says, no, and I'm tired of pretending they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you'd have to see it. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not going to be as funny to people. No, it's not. <laughs> Memes are not; uh, they're like comic strips. Right. You don't you you can't get the full effect just by hearing audio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta actually see it. But yeah, that's 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 my position. I'm t- I'm tired of pretending that these warnings are hypothetical. Right, they're real warnings. Right, that these warnings were they're called warnings because they function as warnings. Mm-hmm. Right, um, just like I mean, the, I use the same illustrations over and over again because well, I, I think. I think they fit, right? You know, you go to the Grand Canyon and you you see warning signs that tell you there's a drop off here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you step over here, you're going to you're going to fall and you're probably going to die, mm-hmm. right? Or the warnings, you know, the the warnings on drain cleaner or or bleach or or any of these yeah. cleaning project you know products. You're not supposed to drink them, mm-hmm. right? If you do, you die, right? These are yeah. le- these are lethal. Mm-hmm. That's what the warning passages are. That that warning on the on the bottle of of Drano is not hypothetical. If you drink this, you will get sick and die. Mm-hmm. That's that's not that's a real warning. So if you are wise, you read the warning, you heed the warning, you don't drink the Drano, and you're fine. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it's the same with these warning passages. These warnings are, if you do this, if you reject Christ, here's what you expect. Here, here's what the consequences will be. Right. And the wise, the wise Christian will read the warnings and say, I don't want to do this. I don't want this consequence. And they won't fall away. So the warning does what a warning is supposed to do the warning works yeah um they're they're not and i think we get into you know um he's not describing somebody that's already done this um he includes himself in it so he's talking about christians 
mean, whoever you think the author of Hebrews is, I assume that you believe that he's an actual Christian, right? Um, I mean, he's he's writing inspired scripture, um, and he's including himself in the warnings. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, if we do this, this is what happens. Right. So let's not do it. Right. Let's let's hold fast. Let's hold firm to our our confession. Yeah. yeah. And the the genuine Christian won't fall away. But we want to jump to the we want to jump to the assurance too fast. We need the warning to do its work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so we would believe. I well, you know I believe that well, that there's eternal security. Right. Yeah, you do. I mean, I'll, but we, this we, is what people are going to there and listen yeah. to our podcast and be like, "Hey, aren't you guys doing uh, doctrines of grace yeah, like, on like, Friday? Like, I, what are you talking yeah. about now? <laughs> you giving these warnings? I believe in perseverance of the saints. I believe that that those who are truly regenerated, they can never fall away. I think that's I think that's one of the promises of the. I think that's the overarching promise of the new covenant. The new covenant is not like the old covenant, which the people of Israel broke. Right. So the new covenant's not like the old. The old is can be broken the new covenant is unbreakable so those who are in the new covenant can never break it right right um but we jump too fast to well i believe in once saved always saved and we forget that god uses means to accomplish his purposes yeah that's that's what we need we don't skip that step like why why do they never fall away well we can say it's because of what God does in us through the Holy Spirit. He seals us for the day of redemption, so we'll never fall away. But he also uses warnings. Yes. And if you will if you'll read those warnings, God will keep you from falling away. Right. Right. Yeah. So I got a I got a little illustration for you. Sure. So considering that, you know, God loves us, he gives us really like really uh, stern dark warnings. Right. Uh, because of the nature of what would happen to us. So, you know, kids like to play with guns, like toy guns, little boys, if they're regular, you know, little boys, most of them, they run around and play with guns, mm-hmm. unless their parents, you know, have been indoctrinated into thinking, you know, little boys shouldn't play with guns, in which case little boy is still going to make a gun when you're not around out of like a stick or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I have real guns. So when Drake, he's about four years old, I said, okay, well, he's obviously old enough now where he could pull the trigger and actually hurt himself Mm. or kill himself. Mm -hmm. And that, sadly, that happens. So I said, all right, well, I'm going to, instead of just giving him a warning, like say, don't touch this, this is bad, this can hurt you, whatever, which is never going to work. She's going to make him want to touch it Mm. because that's the human nature. You tell him you can't touch it, what do they want to do? Right. They want to touch it. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, come here. So we'll go to my grandma and grandpa's house Mm -hmm. and we go down the pond you know little turtle there sitting on the water and i take my handgun out so watch this you see this gun i shoot it turtle explodes said that's what'll happen to you if you touch this gun you just lost all the the this you just lost all the vegans this is not a toy right (laughs) so i say this is not a toy yeah this is made to kill things Mm mm-hmm don't touch this. Guess yeah. what? He, guess what? He didn't they never do. Right. Even though I have put them places where he can't ever get to them, mm-hmm. but uh, kids are sneaky. They'll, yeah, you know, they'll find their way to things. Right. You gotta. But the warning, people say that's a drastic warning. Well, yeah, it's better than I don't want my son dying. Uh huh. So I love him. I give him a something that's going to stick in his mind, and it's even going to maybe cause him to fear a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
We have to remember the context of these warnings. Why are they so severe? It's because these are genuine believers. They're probably newer newer Christians. Um, they're, they're second generation. We get that from chapter two. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are being tempted to leave the faith and go back to the temple sacrifices. Right. They're, they're experiencing persecution. They're being ostracized from society. And so in order to escape that, go back to the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament, you're still worshiping God, they would say. Um, and so the author of Hebrews is saying, no, no, this is not, this is not, um, you know, you get to choose one. Right. Christ has come as the final sacrifice. He's the one to which all the, the, the temple and the priests and the sacrifices are pointing. And he is, he's made this, this once for all time sacrifice by his blood. He's the only way mm-hmm. God has made a way to be made right with him. And if you reject his way and go back to, to something else, you can only expect judgment. He's trying to keep Christians who are, um, they, they are on the verge of, of falling away. He is warning them in the strictest of terms not to fall away. Mm-hmm. And we need this because, yeah, we're not going to, you know, we're not being tempted to go back to animal sacrifices, but I mean, we talked about this. The culture is shifting right. so so hard to to the left. I don't think it's far fetched for us to get to the point in America in the next. I don't even know if we have a decade where people are saying, if you're not LGBTQ plus affirming, then you don't have a job here anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you you can't shop here anymore. You you can't bank here anymore. Um, can't buy your groceries. Can't buy your groceries. Um, you can't live here. Um, that I mean, they could take your kids away. I mean, all, right. all kinds of stuff, right? right. What are you going to do? Come take the kids out of your home. Yeah. What are you going to do? Um, what are you going to cave in? Are you going to say, okay, I, I won't be a Christian anymore? Ninety percent of people in America will cave. Mm. That's my that's my estimate. Yeah, I mean, if they if they just have that that uh, that surface level you know, evangelical, you know, doctrine, um, and, and have never heard these warnings. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. But that's what the warning is for. I mean, we're, we're talking, we're talking, sim- I mean, we're going to see it next week. You better he, get gonna, serious about discipling your kids. Yeah. He's, he's going to lay you know out, I mean? he's going to lay out the things that they've been, they've been going through. Mm-hmm. These are not, these are not, um, your coworker is making fun of you for being a Christian. Mm-hmm. This is, um, you're being thrown in the prison. You're having your house ransacked. Um, they haven't died yet. He, he'll say that in, in chapter 12. You haven't resisted to the point of blood. Um, yet. But, yeah, yet. But they, I mean, this is more than just what the average American mm-hmm. experiences right now. But that's that's changing. That's changing. Don't, you know, you can't stick your head in the in the sand and think, ah, it's, it's still the 1980s and it's the religious right and, Right. Um, it's the, the culture is, is just going down the tube. What, what are you going to do as a Christian? Are you going to stand and persevere? Are you going to hold fast to the hope that we confess? Or are you going to say, well, as, as long as you don't, you know, 
take my kids, I'll, I won't be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus says if you love anybody more than you love him, then you're not worthy to be his disciple. Right. Um, that's a warning passage that Jesus gives. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the warning passages are all Count over the, the place. Um, and it's so that you'll persevere in the faith. So you gave three warnings, or three things, rather this is how you broke this warning up, three things that await you if you fall away from Christ. Yep. So three things that await if you fall away from Christ. Do you want to read the passage? Let's read it. Yep. Uh, Verses 26 through 31, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. And and it's helpful for us to remember that this is tied into what has come before. Uh, So it, it reads, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There you go. You got it. All right, and I think uh, I think that um, Jonathan Edwards is doing a little bit of of uh, I don't know, sleight of hand here because Hebrews ten quotes Deuteronomy thirty two mm. thirty five, mm-hmm. which is what he preached from, mm-hmm. and then the the end of this warning says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, and I Ooh, think he's probably a play he's probably, on, a he's probably lifting that mm-hmm. and yeah making his title right. I think. I, I mean, I don't have. I haven't. Right. I haven't spoken to Jonathan Edwards in a while, so. I'd, you know, I'd, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know, but that's my guess. Okay. Well, let's jump in then. Uh, so the first, the first one that you have is, let's see. You termed it three things that await you. So the first thing that awaits you is God's fiery judgment mm. awaits. Mm-hmm. God's fiery judgment awaits. Yeah. Um, that's a scary verse. Yeah. I'm trying to put verse. myself in the mind of, well, the people that are of our generation and mm-hmm. maybe younger. Yeah. Um, this idea seems totally foreign, I think, to most people. Mm-hmm. I think most people, when they hear this, they think that's not right. That's not. I can't be true about God because um, God loves everyone. Mm. And sure, really bad people like Hitler go to hell, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. but I'm not Hitler, and in fact, I'm 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 pretty much pretty good. Mm. So the entire idea of God's judgment, like fiery judgment awaiting people, is completely foreign. Um, but this isn't even talking to non-believers, right? This is, <laughs> this talking, is talking to believers. To, this is talking to people who are believers. He, he I mean, we. We don't skip over the individual words that are used. He includes himself. If mm. we go on sinning deliberately, he's mm. he's not mm-hmm. he's not. And I think this is a good. He's he's speaking as a good pastor. Mm-hmm. Like he's not standing above the people. I'm I'm not part of this. <laughs> That's right. I'm I'm. He's he's saying I'm. I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I, I am not safe from this kind of danger either. I need this warning also. And I think that that's, I mean, that's, 
that was something that I wrestled with as I was preparing the sermon. Like, it's easy, again, it's easy for us to say, well, I, I, I trusted Christ, you know, years ago. Um, once saved, always saved. This isn't talking to me. Right. No, this, Who's it talking this to? is talking. <laughs> then, this is talking to me. That's the question. Like, who in the world would it be talking to? Yeah. He's talking to this. The, and to there's, there's, the, and to there's, there's hints. There's hints throughout the passage that he is talking to believers. I mean, for one, the book is... Oh, it's addressed to believers. Yeah, it's, it's, it's addressed to a church, right? It's, yeah. not, it's not addressed to... He didn't just publish it and, you know, disseminate it amongst everybody right. in the Roman Empire. It's, it's written to a local church. But there are, there's language that's used in this passage that that tells us again uh, at least twice um that these are believers he's mm-hmm. talking to but he's saying look i'm i'm a believer i'm going through the same stuff um I, i'm going to be tempted also i need this and that was something i had to wrestle with is i need to make sure that i'm holding fast to the confession also and that i'm not that i'm not slipping uh, yeah, so, verse 26 and 27, I think when people first read this, it makes them, well, if they're Christians, it makes them uncomfortable. You brought that up. Mm. But there's also, this also, which is good. Which is good. That's the warning doing its work, mm-hmm. right? If, yeah. you, if you don't feel anything when you read this, that's, that's probably a, mm-hmm. an issue. Right. Like if you read that, if we go on sinning deliberately, there's no lo- there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. And you're like, eh. that's, that's a problem. Right, but if you are saying that makes me uncomfortable, yeah, it's like you touch That's, the Drano, you know, you do the Drano, and you're like, get ready to eat, and you're like, oh no, maybe I got Drano on my hands, <laughs> right? I'm <laughs> like, well, let's make sure we get that off, uh-huh. you know, it just makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, think about that warning, uh-huh. but yeah. people, and here's why it makes people uncomfortable because. I don't think there's anyone that's ever lived that's been a Christian that can't think of a time where they sinned on purpose, mm-hmm. or they knew yeah. the right thing to do, mm-hmm. and they didn't do it, And oh, that, yeah. which in case that is sinning on purpose as well. Uh-huh. Neglecting to do something on purpose that you should do right. is a per, is a intentional sin. But if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Does that mean that we're lost then for good because right. we sinned on purpose? And all we have now is fear, the fearful expectation of judgment. Mm. So that's the logic. Yeah, who who would be saved, right? Yeah, that's the logic. <laughs> um, so, so we have to make even, sure. Even Paul, like, yeah, I oh, know yeah. that he he talks about this great conflict in the mind of a oh, believer yeah. in the body. Like, I know what I ought to do, but I I want to do it. Something I can't do it. My flesh is at war against me. Mm. Is everybody lost? Right. That's the question, and that that's the tension people mm. feel like. The even the um, the early church fathers were dealing with this. Um, Shepherd of Hermas. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's an early church writing. Mm-hmm. Um, he introduces kind of the idea of of anything that you do after your baptism puts you in jeopardy again, and that gets picked up in the early church. I mean, we talk about Constantine sometimes and, and he put off his, you know, there's question about whether he actually converted or if he was just right. using Christianity as, you know, a, a tool. He put off baptism. He put off end. baptism, right? Put off baptism because you get baptized, but if you sin after you ba- are baptized, then you run into problems. Well, this, this was, um, this was one of those verses that started getting misused mm-hmm. that after you, if you start, if you sin after you get baptized, then, you got to do something else. 
Mm-hmm. And there was all kinds of weird things that started getting snuck in. Well, uh, if you sin deliberately after you've been baptized, you get like a mulligan. <laughs> like get it, you get one, you get one freebie. Yeah. <laughs> but the second time, you're you're gone. Especially if you're not warmed up yet. Uh-huh, like yeah. you're not warmed up yeah. totally. <laughs> <laughs> then you get a mulligan uh, on life. You're yeah. Like I'm just getting started. I'm, uh, just getting yeah, I'm a new up. Christian. I'm a new yeah. Christian. Mulligan. Um, I think it maybe was Tertullian, another church father. Um, he snuck in that um, the sinning deliberately was sexual immorality, mm. and that was a big deal for the early church. I mean, they they really <clears throat> they really came out strong against that because they're re- living in like the most sexually immoral. Yeah. <laughs> You know, culture until our until day. our day, right? Um, and so he he said it was it was sexual immorality. So sexual immorality, if you if you commit sexual, you know, adultery or fornication, um, then then there's no sacrifice for your sin. Mm-hmm. But this is not Mad Libs. <laughs> this verse is not fill in the blank whatever right. sin that you that you're struggling with. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've had I've had numerous people come in and and really struggling you know how do i know that i'm actually a christian how do i know i haven't done this how do yeah. i know that that, that i haven't because i've sinned deliberately and they'll mm-hmm. you know they've got you know whatever they're they're struggling with and i've i've heard all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. but you can't just fill in the blank it's not it's not just any sin mm-hmm. we know that um for I think three reasons. The first is it would that would contradict other passages in the book of Hebrews, where it talks about Jesus as our high priest is able to sympathize with us in our weakness, and when we're tempted, mm-hmm. he's able to help us. Yeah. Well, um, as our high priest, he's able to advocate for us when we when we have sinned. Yeah. Right. Have you ever had anybody come in, George, and be like, you know, you probably have heard different different sins. Some people, you know, they got their weird things. Mm. You ever have somebody come in like, you know what, I just can't stop dancing. <laughs> <laughs> you ever you ever have that? No, I've never. I just can't stop dancing. No, I've never I don't had know that. If I'm going to be never saved ha- in the Never end. had that one. No, no, I don't live in the. I don't mm. live in the 1800s. 1700s. We had this, <laughs> we had this uh, lady call the church, former church that I was a part of. Dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna find it because I still have the audio file. Have I played it on here before? I don't think so. The lady who sings "My God is Better Than Your God," my God's better than you. Yeah, I don't oh, think God. so. And one of the things she she <laughs> went on about was uh, dancing. How dancing wasn't a sin. I guess that's what she was taught. Oh, uh, really? Dancing's not a sin. Mm. Where yeah. would the world be without Fred Astaire? <laughs> <laughs> that's what she said. That's what she said. Sorry. I just that just came to mind. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring that on a free for all Friday. I'm gonna find that and let y'all listen to it. It's one of the most bizarre messages I've ever I've ever yeah. received. Yeah, the, man, you've got you've got mega churches that their whole their whole uh, services dancing. is centered around dancing. Yeah, they ain't gonna make it, dude. Not not on the dead judgment. They ain't gonna make it. Yeah, in trouble. Yeah, I'm just kidding. You know, I don't. I, I may not I dance. I may not dance, but I don't think it's a sin. Yeah. I'll tell you when I'll dance. Probably next. My wife, dan- my wife laughs at me every time I, every time I like try to dance in the yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. She always makes fun of me. I'll dance when uh, Brit gets married. I'll dance. I'll dance then. Oh yeah, yeah. Till then, I'm just gonna have to save it, okay. save it up. Just <laughs> all that pent up, <laughs> all that pent up energy from not dancing. It's gonna all come out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you All just right. totally broke up the whole flow of well, you know. <laughs> you can have yeah. fun as you as you study the Bible. Oh yeah. So here's the you question: got people then. that are struggling to know if they've <laughs> yeah. if they've lost their salvation. I'm just trying to tell. Well, hey, at least hey, you're not a dancer. Listen, Christian. Yeah, yeah. You want to objectively measure yourself, yeah, against the text. What oh, it yeah. actually says, not what you speculate that it might well, be you, saying. You've got you've got passages in Hebrews that talk mm-hmm. about Jesus helping us when we're when we're tempted to sin. You've got passages in the rest of the New Testament that talk about how how Christ stands and he he'll forgive us of our sins. Right. Um, but then you've you've got the actual context of the passage and that's where we need to be. We need to yeah. be in the in the context of the passage. There's and, a word there yeah, that connects us to, that connects us to what came before. Right. Don't that that word for it's actually there for a purpose. Right. Right. It it connects us to what he's already said. Right. It'd be like, you know, you're writing an essay, um, and then you come you present some evidence and all of a sudden you're gonna now tell people, All right, now that I've presented this to you, here's kind of the uh the implication of that thing. So you would say, therefore, or something like that to cue the reader. Yeah. Same thing, obviously. It doesn't make any sense to say what he said in chapter ten, and then for chapter or verse twenty six to just be go off the sinning in general. You, there's off, there's yeah. no there's no sacrifice for you. He's he has spent he spent twenty five verses um, telling us that animal sacrifices couldn't forgive sin, but Christ actually did. Yes, that he has made this once for all time sacrifice that has accomplished what was promised in the new covenant mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. God will remember our sins no more um, that because of that the whole old covenant system has been um, you know annihilated so cling to Christ right. oh but uh, by the way if you keep sinning nah, uh, there's no sacrifice for you <laughs> That's yeah. it. I mean it would it would completely it would completely rip apart Comes his, his whole argument it but, would it would completely diminish what he has said mm-hmm. um, in the early part of, of chapter 10. Like, okay, who cares if he's made this all-time, you know, once-for-all-time sacrifice for sin that's perfected us if I, you know, sin on, you know, sin tomorrow. Right. And now I'm, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Like, what what good is that once-for-all sacrifice for me now? Mm-hmm. Christ, Christ's blood is powerful enough to cover all sins. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the sinning deliberately here in verse twenty six has to be something very specific. It can't it can't just be sin in general. Mm-hmm. And the very specific thing would be leaving the church, yeah. going back to the Old Testament sacrifices. Yeah. So he's elaborated in great detail on the superiority of Christ, mm-hmm. the priesthood, the temple, all of that, his sacrifice. And then you say, hmm, with all that knowledge, no, nah, I'm mm-hmm. going back. Yeah. So that's the sin he's talking about. Mm-hmm. If we go on and we leave Christ and we go back, we're done. Yeah. There's no there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins because Christ is the sacrifice. He's the only, you've left the only one. Yeah. You've left the only sacrifice that will atone for your sins and make you right with God. You've left the only one there is in the entire world yeah, in the whole in the whole planet. He's, you, you he, go off and you find 
nothing. Yeah, he's he's exalting the superiority of Christ in his sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, he he doesn't you know wax eloquent like he does in chapter one about the supremacy of Christ, but he's doing the same thing here. It's not as if well, here's one option for your for, for the forgiveness of sins. It's Jesus, but if you go over here to the temple and and make an animal sacrifice, the Day of Atonement is just as good. Right. No, no, that that Christ ha- Christ sacrifice is so infinitely superior that this is like going to a pagan temple. Right. It yeah. do- it doesn't this this is blasphemy. Mm-hmm. There's no forgiveness here. And it's the same for everything else that we might leave the church for. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I don't have to I don't have to be a part of, you know, organized religion. I can be a good Christian by myself. Mhm. Um well, you're, I mean, you're leaving. You're leaving what God has told you to do. You're you, you're leaving it for being a good person, mm-hmm. um, doing my own spirituality, right? Um, whatever rituals I have, um, just I mean, just name the things that people leave Christianity over. Well, I've been hurt by the church, so I'm you know, I'm gonna do something else. Right? There, there is no other sacrifice for sins mm-hmm. it's jesus alone right yeah this this uh is in our culture obviously incredibly counter to the prevailing thoughts of the day right so two of the things that seem to be growing if you think about it are the supremacy of personal experience the supremacy of personal experience. So somebody might would say something like, well, I am more at peace away from the church than I ever was in the church mm. because I have this form of spirituality I practice on my own, and it's real. Like, you can't invalidate my experience. The things that I do with my family alone bring me a great sense of peace. Um, and so there's there's that. And then there's also, that that's growing, but also growing simultaneously, and I think it's probably grown into this full-blown like monster that we have today that Christians believe professing Christians I'll say in quotes professing in quotes that um, there are other legitimate ways to pursue God in the world mm. I, I'm it's shocking that you have to even say that but that's the truth there are professing Christians that will say out loud there are other legitimate ways to come to God mm. um, and this is not true if that were true this wouldn't be here your personal experience uh, of peace or happiness uh, doesn't change the reality that there is only one way for there to be forgiveness of sins. Mm. Um, and I think also there's this idea that Jesus is just whoever you want him to be. Oh, that yeah. you know, yes. I mean, we this we, is we can one. we can see this in in these churches that are uh, you know affirming. Right, like you can be a practicing homosexual and still be a faithful Christian. I mean, we we um, probably could show the Andy Stanley clip yes. where he is expounding how how much uh, how much greater is the faith of these homosexuals that are coming to to church every week over over you know all these other Christians because they know that they they're walking into a place where they may not be accepted. And so they, you know, they've got such great faith, Right. Uh, but they're, but they are living in blatant disregard to God's word that 
the Jesus that we come to is not a Jesus that we just create and say, well, the Bible says this, but this Jesus, he accepts right. practicing homosexuals, and you don't have to repent of those things. Right. Well, and he, We're going to drift into the super, supernatural, but again, we, we I think it's something that we should do more. Um, we live in a supernatural universe. Right. I firmly believe that there are many people who believe in a Jesus that is not Jesus. Like, they name him Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and many a times they've had private private revelations. Mm-hmm. You'll say, but this isn't the truth according to the Word. And you say, well, you know, that God revealed this to me, yeah. that God is okay with, with how I live. I'm not just saying, like, just homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it applies there. But it applies to many other people's right. sinning, the yeah. sins they're... they're they're idol. I mean, it's the mm. it's the one thing they really love, yeah. right? They may they may say something like, "But I, God has revealed to me." You don't understand. God revealed to me that mm. this is okay, and He still loves me. Oh, well, I had who, yeah. who's revealing something contrary, <laughs> right. directly contrary to the Word of God? Who would ever reveal that? I had a George. I have one. Of my, I'm not doubting their experience. Yeah, one of my one of my best friends. Um, uh, at a, a former church, he, um, some other friends, they got a divorce, and and this guy was going to marry the divorced yeah. lady, and it there was a bunch of shady stuff. But I was I was telling him, this isn't all right. You you should not be doing this. Um, and he responded with, "Well, God told me that it it's it was, okay. It's okay. He's okay with it." Uh uh-huh. yeah. yeah. I was like, what? Who, "Who's talking? <laughs> Who's revealing these things to you?" Yeah, yeah. Of course. We know. Mm. I I know they they don't know. They're deceived. Mm-hmm. This is either Satan or or another demon or something. But we pretend like that doesn't happen. Mm. Like yeah. it's not real. Like again, how do they do it? I, we we don't know for sure. But if somebody tells you God revealed to me that this is okay and it's in direct violation of the Word of God, like what what do you to think? Um, They've hijacked the Stargate. Jay. Right. I know. <laughs> right. like, what yeah. Um, we. But this is this is the reality of of, of the times that we live in. Right. People will go through all manner of things to where these verses could never even apply to them. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. But that's that's it. So you don't you don't sit around like a Christian who loves the Lord. <clears throat> you know, you we have corporate confession of sin, mm. and we often say, you know, based off numerous scriptures. That Christians still are they're in a lifelong war mm. against themselves, against their their old nature. Really, it's like the it's the main battle anyone ever fights. Like mm. if you're actually trying to be a Christian, is the war against your yourself. Uh, and the further you, the longer you've been a Christian, and the closer you be, you become with God through the power of the Spirit, um, the more you realize really how much of a sinner you are. You think, oh, well, mm-hmm. I'll get older and it'll just be like... It's it easier. It's just easy, but... <laughs> and it does in many ways. It becomes easy to fellowship with God in a way that it wasn't before, but you become more aware right. of really how flawed you are and how often you sin, and then that just takes you into this healthy spiral mm-hmm. of going, well, God must be incredibly great and gracious to yeah, me. Yeah, that's how, that's how so, you see Jesus. Right. More, more, and greater, and so you know we we are professing these truths. Um, so if you're a Christian and you're struggling with sin, you know this this is, and the key word is struggle. Right. Yeah. So the 
so by saying that verse 26 is not about sin in general, it's not to give you like assurance if you're living in sin. Right. First uh, John yes. speaks very strongly against this. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are warring against your sin, you're not comfortable in it. You're, you're actually trying to be obedient. You're confessing and, and repenting and turning. Um, don't don't feel don't feel hopeless because of verse twenty six. Right. Because verse twenty six is talking about a specific sin of deliberately leaving Christ for something like, else. Like it's something you've got to do on purpose. Yeah. Like, it's like you're saying, okay, it says deliberate. I'm leaving Jesus. Right. He's nothing to me anymore. Mm. I'm going to this. Yeah. And that. So unless you have done that, right? Then, yeah, it's a uh, but, but, but. We should not think that the temptation can arise. Like, okay, so right. the government comes and they're like, mm-hmm. "Hey, we know you're oh, a yeah. Christian, being your kids in you, you know you got your kid in school, and uh, here he, he um, we we understand now that you teach him contrary to what we have mm. said is okay, and here's your option: you you uh, quit being a Christian, mm. or we take your kids away." Yep. Then, then what are you going to do? Yeah. Some people will make a conscious decision and say, "Okay, like I can do without Christ. Give me my kids back." Mm-hmm. And that's was good that you kind of brought that up. People, people might think, "Well, that's a little conspiratorial." Well, just think how the, rapidly the world changed mm-hmm. in only the past ten years. They're already doing it with with kids that that say that they're trans and their parents aren't affirming it. Affirming it. There, there are, there are, the yeah, house. they're already, they're already making moves. Yeah, right. Don't, don't think that this is. There's this a is big, far fetched. Don't think. Well, we live in America. This will never happen. Didn't happen in Texas. A big case. <laughs> they took a girl away from a a, a father. I think. So. Was it Texas? Yeah, there was. There was some. Yeah, yeah there was some big, big story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Don't don't think that this is not going to happen. Don't think it's you know, generations away. Over the last 10 years, our culture has changed massively mm-hmm. um, in ways that we we never would have even imagined mm-hmm. before the uh, Obergefell decision. Bro, I, I've, se- I've already seen so many people that were professing Christians leave Christianity mm-hmm. uh, because their children yeah. were LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't wait until it... The temptation, the pressure is there for you to make this decision. You need to read this warning and say, um, "No matter what happens, I'm going to follow Christ." And you have to do it now while the pressure is still light. Mm-hmm. Th- this is not something that you wait until. It's like game day, right? You don't you don't start practicing and memorizing plays the day of the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're training, you're training your body and your mind for months mm-hmm. leading up to it. Yeah. You got to you got to be ready. Yeah. I try to get my kids ready. I, you know, I I'm hopeful that they'll persevere to the end. Yeah. Uh, by God's grace, but I'll tell them I'll say, you know, look, I we we believe in forgiveness and grace here. You know, I could I could tolerate any sin that you guys did and I would I would readily forgive you and welcome you back. And but I tell them I said, but if you renounce Christ, and you leave him, mm-hmm. we are not going to be in fellowship any longer. Yeah. Like you like if you do this, I'm not talking like, oh, I, I fell into some big backslidden state for numerous years and my lifestyle has denied Christ. I'm talking you deny him, 
and you go after some other God, um, we're probably done. Mm. Which is what well, we'll see it in in the second the second point is that it that is what is being set up that when you leave Christ to go somewhere else, and he's talking to Jews, right? Mm-hmm. They with the Old Testament, with the temple and the priests and the sacrifices that were part of the old covenant. Um, you know, it, it's it's not like saying, well, I'm still worshiping the same God. I'm just worshiping him in a, in a different way. Once Christ comes and yeah. gets rid of the old covenant, to go back to those practices is to go to a different God. Yep. You're not right. you're not worshiping Yahweh anymore. You're worshiping <clears throat> a false God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and that's First John. Also, if you deny the Son, you you deny the Father. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I try to tell them the same thing too. Like, well, what if what if something crazy happened with me and I left yeah. the faith? What are you going to do? Are you going to follow me? No. That's what I want to hear. No, mm. we're not going to follow you that way. Yeah. We never will. Mm. Good. Good. Yeah. So. Um, we uh, we need to take the warning the warning seriously. There are people who, and you know, through history, who you would look at and say that well, they're never going to leave the Christian faith, and they did. Mm. You know, one of Billy Graham, Billy Graham's best friend. He's one of them. Yeah, and we've talked about him on here before. Who who he was apparently the better preacher of the two. They were traveling around the beginning, preaching together, and this guy leaves. So that well, that's number one. But the second, the second thing that we have to you know look forward to if we were to leave and commit this sin is that there is a fate worse than death that awaits you. Mm-hmm. How can there be a fate worse than death? Yeah, we often don't think that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like going back to that that whole scenario where the government comes in and takes your kids. Like for a parent, that's your worst nightmare, right? Yeah. Well, we need to be reminded that there are worse things that can happen, mm. right? Um, and there's worse things than you dying. Mm-hmm. Um, so he does something that he's done throughout the book. He's going to do it again in chapter 12, I believe. He argues from the lesser to the greater. It's a good teaching technique. Yeah. They borrowed it from Jesus, I think. Yeah. So he does it often. Yeah. So if, if this is true for the lesser thing, how much more do you think is deserved for right. this greater thing? So he he. He's comparing the the law of Moses with the new covenant. Mm-hmm. So, um, if anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses, he's he's taking that from Deuteronomy chapter seventeen. In this uh, in this case, in Deuteronomy seventeen verses two through seven, you have this um, scenario. If you hear in any of your cities that there's someone that has gone after other gods, um. Do an investigation, see whether it's true, and if it's true, then stone this person. Mm-hmm. Um, stone them to death on the basis of two or three witnesses. No one's to be put to death on one witness. Right. It's supposed to be two or three witnesses. All right. So you've got a person who knows this is an Israelite. They've they've they know how God has worked bringing the people out of Egypt the exodus, the law, bringing them into the promised land. They know God's mighty acts. They know what his law says. They deliberately set it aside. Um, That word is used in the Septuagint. Um, It's translated done violence to um, the law of Moses. And on the basis of two or three witnesses, they're to be 
without mm-hmm. mercy stoned to death. Yeah. All right. How much more? How much more worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has abandoned Christ? Yeah. And he gives three. Yeah. Three very re- descriptive, really descriptive, mm-hmm. um, hard things. Yeah. yeah. This is what it. This is what it means mm-hmm. for you to fall away from Christ. Yeah. You are trampling underfoot the Son of God. Um, in chapter six, he talks about them crucifying once again the Son of God. Mm-hmm. This one is you're throwing him down in the you know in the mud and stomping on him. Mm-hmm. Um, you are uh, treating as um, profane the blood of the covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, that that word is uh, it's a uh, what is it koinia? It's you know we've got uh, koine Greek mm-hmm. common. Mm-hmm. Ordinary. This is the language, you know, the vernacular. Um, it, treating the blood of the covenant as common. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, after everything he said in in chapter eight about what the covenant is, mm-hmm. and chapter ten about Christ's blood was shed for this covenant, to treat it as common, uh, and then to uh, to outrage the spirit of grace mm-hmm. or to insult him. Mm. This one who has brought you. To Christ, who has who has um, uh, revealed who He is and, mm-hmm. and brought you into the the new covenant um, to insult Him, w- what do you think should happen to this person? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if the if the person who did violence to the law of Moses by setting it aside should be stoned to death, how much greater punishment should be done to the person that has done this, has trampled the Son of God? has profaned the blood of the covenant by wh- by which they were sanctified. That's, mm-hmm. He's talking to Christians, mm-hmm. right? Um, insulted, outraged the spirit of grace. Well, what should happen to them? Mm-hmm. Should they just be stoned to death? The answer is no. Something worse. Mm. Something worse will happen, right? Um, it's, it's much worse than just getting the death penalty. Right. It's... Eternal, Getting eternal punishment, eternal death, eternal penalty, punishment, yeah. and I, I think, I think that um, his um, his reference to two or three witnesses in the uh, you know for the one who set aside the law of Moses, I think it's picked up in verse um, twenty nine because you see that there are there's there's three witnesses, there's the Son of God, there's the Spirit of Grace, mm-hmm. and then there's the Father, mm. right? Um, so if you abandon Christ three witnesses are going to be standing against you, right? Um, that's pretty, it's pretty dreadful. Right. I think, I think that this, um, this outraging the spirit of grace, I think that this is, this can be tied to um, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit mm. in uh, Matthew 12 and Mark 3. So in that, Jesus is healing people and, and uh, the religious leaders are saying, well, he's doing it by the power of Beelzebub. Right. And Jesus says, every every sin will be forgiven except for blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I think you have to, I mean, again, that's a, that's one of those passages that people always question. Have I committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Have I committed this unpardonable sin? Um, but again, you have to look at the context. You have right. Jesus healing people, the religious yeah. leaders, they're seeing it, and they're saying, no, no, that's the devil. Right. Um, I, I think it's, you know, he raises Lazarus from the dead, this undeniable miracle, and they say, this guy's got to go. Yeah, I always, I always kind of disagreed with those, with those preachers that would say the unpardonable sin is just to reject the gospel. Yeah. 
Um, well, obviously that is because you die in your unbelief. Mm-hmm. But to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is something more beyond. Yeah. It is to have a knowledge of Christ, mm-hmm. and then to eat to as in this case to count him as nothing or his blood is common mm-hmm. and you trample him underfoot or it, it could be as drastic as what they did when they saw Christ and that's to say no he's doing what he does by the work of the devil right um, even then even in those passages it seems like Jesus is still warning them not to right. like you're close yeah but even then maybe they haven't done it yet mm-hmm. I mean I I think of uh, the Apostle Paul you got you got Saul. He's heard the gospel, like he knows what the church is teaching, mm-hmm. and he still is giving approval to the people who are uh, stoning Stephen. Mm-hmm. He gets letters um, from the religious leaders to go to different cities and and arrest Christians so that they'll be killed, right? Mm-hmm. And yet God still saves him. Mm-hmm. Like even that wasn't the unpardonable sin, right? I mean, what we're talking about is. An extreme sin, you know, when people come and they say, "Well, you know, I, uh, I just sometimes don't don't uh, read my Bible, right? I don't go to church like I should. Yeah. You know, I I live this certain way. If I committed the unpardonable sin, I don't think so. Right. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about something that is the extreme. Like this is, you know, who Jesus is. You've experienced it." And there's a reason, and you, and you turned away. And there's a reason why they can't turn back. It's because, uh, having rejected Christ, their conscience has become so seared to mm-hmm. that truth. Right? It gets back to how how you what you do. Like their will is bent completely towards something else, and they count him as worthless. So you can't just go back mm. um, to be turned over to your own desires. Yeah, um, it's like. You can't hate and love something at the same time, right? So their own unbelief has rendered it impossible. Yeah, I think I think three things to remember for people that are struggling with this idea of have I committed you know this unpardonable sin is you know is there no hope for me? Um, it's deliberate. You don't accidentally fall into the sin, right? Um, like taking the mark of the beast. Yeah, it's not. You're yeah. not going to do it on accident. Oh, I accidentally started worshiping this guy. You're like, oh dang, I got a, <laughs> right. I've got a uh, credit card. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> dang it! Um, it's a specific sin of knowing the truth of the gospel and then again deliberately rejecting it. Uh-huh. Right. Um, and three, if you are worried that you've committed it, you didn't. You haven't. No. The people who commit the sin, I think you brought it out. They could care less. Yeah. They're like, yeah, whatever. I'm believing that anyway. Mm, yeah. I think I believe. You think I believe in Jesus? Yeah. Now, you know, I just appeared to, mm-hmm. but I'm gone. Yeah. So who cares what that says? Right. They're gone. They're just blown it. Yeah. Off. I I don't think um you know anyone that that is truly fearful, mm-hmm. uh, is truly anxious about whether they've done this, um that they they don't want to have done this. They haven't. They haven't done it. They haven't right. done it. Yeah. Um, the the difference is the the Christian, the person who's persevering, is the one who is continuing to look to Christ mm-hmm. and repenting of their sins. The person that has committed this is the person that I haven't done anything to that needs you know 
to be repented of. Right. I don't need forgiveness. I uh, like what Tom Schreiner says in his his uh, Hebrews commentary. He says, those who repent of their evil demonstrate that they aren't guilty of the apostasy warned against here. Mm. That's good. So if you're worried, repent. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason why people feel this way is because they are living in some kind of unrepentant sin. Mm-hmm. Well, Turn away from those things. Mm-hmm. Um, recognize that. Recognize the danger of of living that way. Um, repent of those sins and trust that there is a Savior who will who will forgive you of of all your sins if you come to Him. He, he yes. won't He won't turn you away. Mm-hmm. You, you, there's a Savior who has died so that sinners will come to Him, and He won't turn anyone that comes to Him away. Mm-hmm. All right. So now the third. The third. Uh, thing that awaits if we leave the faith, leave Christ, diso- if we don't heed this warning, um, you're going to fall into the hands of the living God. Mm. Verses 30 and 31. Yeah. And you reverence that this is um, kind of a call back to uh, Deuteronomy 32, 35 in the Song of Moses. Yeah. Uh, explain that and how that fits in here with Hebrews. Um, yeah, so Deuteronomy 32, 35, and 36 is um, what he's quoting from here. And uh, Deuteronomy 32 is the Song of Moses. Um, I think the Song of Moses, Deuteronomy 32, is probably the most important chapter in the Old Testament. Um, the, the rest of the Old Testament is constantly alluding to it. It's a warning passage, by the way. <laughs> it's a, uh, by right. the way. Uh, God gives this song to Moses before feel, Moses dies. I feel like after he did this song here, I feel like a lot of them were standing around going like this, like, you know that meme of that kid? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, because he tells them what's going to happen before it happens. Yeah, yeah. And it's not good. And it's a, and it's a it's a warning so <laughs> right. that they won't do it. Yeah. So it's it it um so God gives this to Moses to teach to Israel, and it serves two functions. It serves as a warning, don't do this, mm-hmm. but it also serves as a witness. Mm-hmm. When it, when it does happen, I told you the song will be a witness to them mm-hmm. that God told told you what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it 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 um, lays out the the story of Israel. Mm-hmm. God rescued Israel out of Egypt. He brought them into the promised land. He was gracious to them. But when she became prosperous, Israel rejected God, mm-hmm. went after other gods. Interesting passage there that uh, we've talked about before, that they sacrificed to demons who were no gods. So they're worshiping these false gods, but that doesn't mean they're not. There's not something real behind them. Right? Well, that's, again, that's the thing, right? Yeah. They These things that we pretend aren't real mm. in it because we're Westerners yeah. and Americans, they are real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so since they rejected God, God gives them over to their enemies who um, terrorize them, mm-hmm. um, take them into exile. But that's not the end of the story. God says that he is going to rescue his people and he's going to judge the nations. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we see in the Old Testament. Yeah, right. Um, and it, once you become familiar with the the Song of Moses, I had to write a paper in my Old Testament 
class on the Song of Moses, so I had to read it over and over and over again. So once you've familiarized yourself with it, you're going to see the language just alluded to all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're constantly because it's they're like here's the story, right. <laughs> this is what's happening. Um, so the so the author of Hebrews he is quoting from verses 35 and 36 in the Septuagint, so it reads a little bit differently from the Hebrew, but it it, it keeps the same meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly, for the Lord will vindicate his people. Um, so the Septuagint reads, uh, vengeance is mine and I will repay, and uh, the Lord will judge his people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that. it's capturing the same idea that God is going to um, judge the nations. He's going to save his people, but he's going to judge his enemies. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's that's what's going on in uh, in Hebrews, except he is uh, he's drawing out what is already implied in Deuteronomy 32, is that just because you're part of the covenant community doesn't mean that you are automatically safe from God's judgment. Mm-hmm. So God is going to repay his enemies and he's going to judge his people and those who are actually his people, they'll be saved. But those who are part of the covenant community who are his enemies, they'll be judged. Mm-hmm. He's going to, he's going to sift the people. He's, he's going to, he's got his winnowing fork is what uh, mm-hmm. John the Baptist says. Um, so that's, that's what he's telling them here in this warning passage in, in Hebrews 10 by quoting from that. He's saying, uh, consider what God said was going to happen to Israel, mm-hmm. right? Don't, don't feel like you are, are just because you're, um, in this visible community, if you turn away, even if no one else knows it, right? If in your heart you turn away. Mm-hmm. Don't uh, don't feel safe just because you're sitting in a pew. Mm-hmm. Right? God will repay his enemies, and he will judge his people. And then the warning ends with that final verse. Um, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Mm. Uh, one commentator said that um, this, uh, where is it? says the the final sentence of the admonition is chilling in its simplicity. I mean, hmm. he, can you imagine a more terrifying thing? It, it's terrifying. That's the word for phobia. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And he's used this this uh, this title for God, the living God. Um, he uses it four times in the in the book. And um, to fall into the hands of someone means to come under their power. Mm-hmm. Um, they can do whatever they want to you. Right. So Israel falls into the hands of you know, the Babylonians. Mm-hmm. Babylonians can just do whatever they want. Well, better to fall into the hands of the Babylonians, right? <laughs> right. And to fall into the hands of the living God um, in judgment. But that's what will happen. Um, the... Um, the danger of of rejecting Christ and falling away is that you're going to fall into you're going to fall under God's power to do whatever He wants to, and He's going to repay His enemies. He's going to judge His people. And it does seem, you know, as we look through the Bible, that 
despite what some people think. Not all sins are equal. Mm -hmm. And perhaps the worst sin of all, uh, worse than any sin you could ever list, uh, of all the the sins that Americans may be engaged in in their greed and uh, power-hungry nature and their sexual immorality and their lust and how they use each other and use other people and, and love themselves and are terrible to children um, and terrible to homeless people and unjust. Um, the greatest sin of all is to hear the gospel and reject Christ. Mm. And then prop, maybe even beyond that, to grow up in a Christian community and hear the gospel over and over and over and over um, and continue, and, and to see the benefits of the Christian community compared to the world, um, to see all of that and then to reject Christ. Um, to fall into the hands of the living God after having rejected his son, after having that much uh, grace given to you, that much knowledge. Um, I believe it'll be worse on the day of judgment. That, As, as Christ has, had said, it'll be worse on the day of judgment than for you than for Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with greater knowledge, with greater privilege, um, comes greater judgment. I, mean, I, I I read Amos 3, verse 2, talking to Israel. God says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. That, that word for know is that covenant relationship. Right? He's chosen, Adam, Adam he's, knows his he's, wife. Yeah. He, he's entered into a relationship with Israel. Out of all the nations, you could you, you could alone put in have the word I, love. If, I yeah. mean, you could put yeah. love in. Yeah. Have I, have I loved? Have I known? Have I chosen? Um, therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. The reason why God punishes Israel the way he does is because of their special relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And so if you are a professing Christian and you claim to have this relationship with God, the the uh, the new covenant, they will all know me, mm-hmm. right? Well, if you are in that relationship and then you say, I'm out, the pressure's too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna save my own skin. God's going to judge you. So this warning, I mean, it's pretty explicit, right? Mm. But as you said, it's only one piece of what's coming. You couldn't right. go on one. So right. next Sunday, there'll be more. There'll be better news. Yeah, there'll be better news for us. Yeah. Um, and we talked before. I think before we hit record, that though this warning is incredibly powerful and strong, mm. you still believe in perseverance of the saints, <laughs> right? You still believe that all. All of that that the Father has given to the Son, as Jesus, that's how Jesus describes it. All that the Father gives to me will come yeah. to me, and those who come to me, I'll never cast out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He has very strong language. He loses none of his people. Yeah, and one of the reasons he doesn't is because there are these warning passages. Yeah, pay attention to the warning, and his people hear his voice mm-hmm. in the warning passage and right. they obey it. Yeah. Yeah, right. And they don't fall away. Mm-hmm. So yeah. a real Christian will hear the warning passage yeah. and not fall away. Yeah. No no real Christian will do what, I mean, that's one of the objections. Right. Like trample underfoot the Son of God and, and profane the blood of the covenant and, and outrage the spirit of grace. No real Christian is going to do that. Yes, that's right. No no real Christian will do that. Why? That's, that's what we often skip. Why not? Mm-hmm. It's because they're warned here. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Um, and so the real Christian, the one who actually has been converted, 
will actually obey God's word. Yeah. Like I think we've gotten into this idea that well Christians you profess to be a Christian and then you just live however you want. A real Christian actually obeys God's word. Mm-hmm. That they, they actually take it seriously. So if you're not taking God's word seriously, you need to examine yourself to see whether you're actually in the faith. Mm-hmm. Because a real Christian, though not perfectly, we we stumble, we sin deliberately. Yeah. Right? We we do things we know we're not supposed to do. We fall um but the real Christian will repent, even if it's after a period of, you know, a long period of time. A real Christian will repent and come back. Yeah. Right? And I, I don't think that we as, as Christians, I don't, I don't see anything in here that says that we um, can um, make a judgment on somebody whether they've done this. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the purpose of the warning. Um, can you drink drain cleaner and still be rushed to the hospital and they can they can save you and you won't die mm. yeah right uh do you want to test that no <laughs> <laughs> all right. right so the the warning the warning is given so that you won't um, become presumptuous mm-hmm. right? don't see how close you can get to the edge of the grand canyon before you fall mm-hmm. because once you get too far you're already gone mm. right can you survive a fall maybe um do you want do you want to test that no, of course not. Um, so I, I don't think that we can look at people and say, "Well, that person has done this, so there's no hope for this person." I don't, I don't think that's the I don't think that's the purpose right. of, the, of the warning passage. I think the warning passage treat it as a warning. Don't do it. Don't do it. And if you see people who are um, you know, falling away, warn them. Mm. Um, encourage them as if you would if you saw their house on fire. Right. Like warn them. You see that they've, you know, mixed up their their Kool Aid with, you know, some Drano, you know, slap it out of their hand. <laughs> Don't drink that. Right. You know, uh, love them. It's these warnings. They're not. They're not cruel. They're kindness. Yeah. So hopefully, um, people will heed the warnings and persevere to the end. And what we'll see next week in verses thirty-two through thirty-nine is that that's the hope of the writer of, of Hebrews to the people he's writing to. He's writing this stern warning, but um, he's going to end this. Hopefully. He's going to end the chapter with, well, we're the people who actually right, have right. faith and, and preserve their souls. We're, we're not people who do this. Right. right. Yeah. Good. All right. Thanks. I know I learned more about the passage. I hope you did. If this podcast and video podcast, I don't know what they call these, but uh, if this is helpful to you, We hope that you would give us a like, a subscribe, and a share. Help us to uh, get the word out more and uh, so that more people can hear the gospel, can learn the Bible, and if they are Christians, to become more and more conformed to Christ. That's the whole idea. It's the whole reason we do this. We want to be more like Christ. So if this is beneficial to you, we're glad. That's why we do this, especially to the people of Christ Fellowship Church. But beyond that, to everyone else, Hey, we're happy for that as well. So hopefully you'll come back on Friday. We're doing the Doctrines of Grace, and we are on the U, the U. And we're going to see if we can break Joe Rogan's record. We're going four hours? I don't know. We'll see. We'll have to see what happens. We'll see you next time.